How many of you that are sitting here today are morning people? I'll raise my hand. Um, how many of you are night owls? Okay. Well, I just want to say it's a privilege to be with all of you today, whether you're a morning person and you're already there right there with me, um, or if you're just here because you're making that sacrifice. Thank you. I applaud you for being intentional about your desire to renew, refresh, and restart. I, I view this as a time when I can come and plug in to the source. Now, I hope that's happening every day. But there is a dynamic that happens when it's the body of Christ and we come together and we plug into Him and He refreshes, renews, restarts, sometimes gives us a kick where we need it and sends us out to progress through our week. Thank you for being here. He is the source of my strength, and we need him to guide us and to speak to us, and I want that to happen today. And I appreciate the sacrifices that some of you had to make to be here today. Some of you, it was way more than just because you're a night owl. Some of you have made tremendous sacrifices, and I appreciate that. And I, I just want to say I felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude today as I just begin to pray about this um, lesson I just begin to be so thankful and grateful to God for the familiar faces that I see week in and week out in our services. That speaks of consistency. That speaks of faithfulness. And I need that. You need that. Um, we need each other. I need your testimony, and you need my testimony. Um, there are things that God has done for you that maybe it's been so long ago that you almost don't remember it, but there's people sitting here today that haven't heard that. They need to hear your testimony. Um, I, I need to hear Amy O'Dell testify about how God saved her marriage. I need to hear God speak through John Stevens and tell me how God spoke to him miraculously and brought him and I could go on and on. There's so many of you that sit here today with your testimonies, and we need your testimonies. And because there's sometimes, and we've heard the story, sometimes we know in our head what the Word says, and we know that His Word says He'll never leave us and that He'll walk with us and He'll support us and, and He'll go with us to the end of the world, but sometimes we need somebody with skin on to say that. Say, I'm an overcomer. I've been there and I've come through. He's brought me over and he can bring you through. And you need him and I need him. And we need the body of Christ. I do not believe there's one person that is here by accident. God ordained you to be here at this moment and at this time. And I think it's very, very important that we are careful about what we speak and I won't, that's a whole nother lesson, and I won't go into that. But I do think it's very important that we speak blessings into our lives and the lives of those around us. And you say, well, Sister Jean, do you believe in a prosperity gospel that if you just speak a million dollars, I'm going to have a million dollars? No, because God knows if you can handle a million dollars. I don't know. He knows. But when I say speak blessings, that means we're not dealing and 
dwelling and focusing on what negative has happened. But his word says, if there's things that are good and honest and lovely and pure and just, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We have to be intentional about that. Because we are all in different parts and processes of the journey. Some of us are in times where God is testing us, proving us, refining us. Some of you are not. Some of you are. But instead of saying, oh, he's after me, he's punishing me. No, I look for his fingerprints and I say, what is God doing? What is God teaching? And I'm going to glorify him through this. He's bringing me through to make me into the person that he's called me to be. And whether you're floating in here today on a cloud or you're dragging yourself in with every fiber of your being, I want you to know that God knew you would be here. He knew the circumstances in which you would find yourself. And he is here today. He has designed this encounter. And he's designated that you be here. He is into details. Anybody that knows how many hairs are on your head is into details. He knows that you would come with the thought processes you have, the life experience you have, and he knows what you need, when you need it, how you need it. The answer is that we have to trust him. And our world, and sadly enough, the church is in an identity crisis. It isn't anything new, and I will prove that to you biblically, But it has intensified. Satan has been chipping away since the beginning of time at what God says about you. He's been working on that. And as the time grows closer, you've heard when when the new heaven and the earth comes down, and we know he is the prince, the Satan is the prince and power of the air, and we are the salt of the earth, and as those two things get closer and closer together, you know what happens, there's pressure, there's compression, and things come about because of that, but we already know what the ending of this story is, and we can take faith and confidence and hope in knowing that he will lead us where he's called us. Before I get too much into this, I forgot something. Brother Kyle said if you're supposed to be in ministry development, you're supposed to be in that class, and you won't offend me at all if you stand up and move into that right now because that's where you're supposed to be if you signed up for ministry development in the kids' church room. We are ministering today in, into a world, as I said, that is in an identity crisis. We're ministering to children in kids' church that have been hospitalized for suicide attempts. One of them is six years old. That's messed up. A child that is six years old that feels that devoid of hope, something is wrong with our world. We're dealing with a generation who are unsure of who they are and what their worth is. And, And that's not just children. There's people that sit here under the sound of my voice, that you don't know exactly where you fit in, what your niche is, 
Does God really care? Does he know where I'm at? Does he know what I'm dealing with? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. The enemy of our soul will take pure motives. He'll take pure desires. And he will twist them and pervert them out of recognition. What do you mean, Sister Jean? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he will tap into that desire that we have to be better, to be wiser, and he will twist it and pervert it. And let me show you that biblically. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I told you he started at the beginning, and he hasn't changed. All that changes is the characters that he's speaking to. And here we find that he was speaking to Eve. Now, How much more pure can the earth be when there's only two of you, okay? And you're made in his image, and you know that God is giving you everything that you need at your disposal to do what he's called you to do. And he says this, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, do you see that line in there that says that it was pleasant to the eyes, it was good for food, And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. That doesn't sound like bad things. It sounds like that Eve was buying into the lie that says this. You need more than you've been given. And I have the way for you to help God out. Satan's plan is for us to become dependent upon what we can do. God had already said, I've given you this whole garden. Everything that you need is here. Don't touch this, but this is what you need. And there was communion with God on a daily basis. But we see that Satan says, oh, no, that's not enough. In fact, you want to be wise you want to help God out, you want to get to that level that you need to be, then I'll tell you what you do. You eat of this tree. He wants us to think that what we can offer and what we can make happen, and we start relying on our own strength, our own talents, our own abilities, and what does that do? It breaks communion with God. Because suddenly I'm operating in a realm that I don't need him. Now, if I do, I call him. He's right there. But actually, I've got all this at my disposal that I can use. And yes, God wants to use it, and he needs you. But we have to be plugged into him and understand that he is the source from which it all comes. I cannot do without him. If I start depending on myself, I want you to understand that that well of self-sufficiency is shallow. It is not going to last for a long time. There's going to be burnout. 
There's going to be wipeout. There's going to be every kind of out you can imagine if you are depending upon yourself. Our inadequacies show up pretty quickly. And then what happens is he, the same guy that said, hey, you can be this and you can do this on your own strength, then comes to you and says, you really messed up. You're worthless. You think God can use you? You think that, you think, you think, you think, and we start buying into that, and then we start trying to make up even more ground in the areas that he's shown us our inadequacies, inadequacies, which if we understand that the plan from the beginning was to say, yes, I'm inadequate, yes, I make mistakes, yes, I have faults and failures, but I am in Christ who has no failure, who has no failures, who has no faults, who has no inadequacies. His word will remain true and faithful, and if I walk in the light, yes, I will make mistakes, but I'm not depending upon on myself. I'm depending upon my Savior, my King, my ruler, who will bring me to the other side. God never intended for us to be the Lone Ranger. We need Him and we need each other. We plug into that source, and that's where our strength comes from, not only when we meet together, and that is important, but also. When we're in the corporate body that we come together in unity, there's power in unity. That's why Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I don't know about you, but I don't want a service. I don't want a day to go by where I cease to be in active pursuit of him. I want to just say to to this right at this moment, that we should always come into every service in active pursuit of God and what He will do not only for us, but through us and to us. I want to come in with my radar up that says, I'm feeling after you, Lord. I don't know what you want to do today, but I'm searching for it. I'm seeking for it. I want you. I need you. I can sit in a service. And wait for him to come with the big bucket and just dump it on me. And he will do that sometimes. But I'm not satisfied with that. I don't want to wait for it to find me. I want to find him. I want to go after him. I want him to know I'm crazy about you, Lord. I desire you. I want to feel after you. I want to know what you want for this service. And if you seek him, you will find him. That is why when we leave a service that there's some that say, boy, it was a dead service today. I felt nothing. Well, were you sitting there waiting for the bucket or were you reaching and searching and looking for it and saying, God, I've got to have you today. It's a new day. It's new mercies. And I've got to have, Lord, that plugging into you because I can do nothing without you. But with you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My goal is to be like him. But I've got a long way to go to be like the Lord. I've said to you before, there's days I get on my own nerves. That's just the truth. 
So I can only imagine how I must make others feel at times. But here's the thing. I have to understand that just because I haven't arrived doesn't mean I quit pursuing. Just because I fall and fail and just because my attitudes aren't exactly what I want them to be, that doesn't mean I stop and say, well, I guess I just don't go after this anymore. No, I'm in active pursuit of Jesus. i got to have you, Lord. I need you. You are my strength. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 14, 24 says, Surely as I have planned, speaking of the Lord, so it will be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. God does not make mistakes. Now, I said earlier, that's why I have to be very careful because there's things I've learned from life experience that I can give people advice But I have to be very, very careful because sometimes my advice might not be the advice that the Lord wants them to have. I will not always be perfect. You will not always be perfect. People that you hold in high esteem will not always be perfect. They may make mistakes. They may make choices But we're not following people. We're following Jesus. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that he does have a plan for you. Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I want to say no matter how inadequate or insignificant you feel, the body of Christ needs you to step up and be who he's called you to be. We need you to step up and be the best you that you can be. There's a place that you can feel in the body of Christ that is just for you that nobody else can fill that place. Well, Lord, I just feel like a little toenail on the little toe well be the best little toenail you can be because that is where God can use you when you offer what you have in humility and say God I want you to work through me I want you to know that there is a place that only you can fill there are people that you can minister to that I will never touch I will never come in contact with them There are people that I will touch that you will never come in contact with. And that ministry begins when you say, you know what? This may not be something up front. This may not be something that I told you before about the lady who said that she was won to to Jesus Christ by a lady that who felt like she had no talents, nothing she could do. But she had a really pretty smile, and she said, I'm just going to stand in the foyer, and I'm going to smile, and if somebody looks like they need a hug, I'm going to give them a hug. And this lady had been coming for several times to the service, and her, she had lost a loved one and actually had grown bitter against God about it. And she just decided to visit the service, and she said, No, Brother Phil, I'm on one. And Gabe, would you mind taking that back to them? I don't know if there's, or Amy, sorry. Gabe, Amy, somebody. 
somebody who, thank you. Um, she said when she walked in the door and that lady smiled at her and she said she gave me a hug and she said I knew in that moment God had put that woman in my life to show me that there was people that cared about me and that God knew where I was. You may be just a smile. You, may, you don't know what you're doing in the name of Jesus that can radically change the lives of the people around you. We do it not because we see what's happening, but because we trust that he knows what people need and that when we're willing vessels, he can use us for his glory, for his kingdom, and it's not about us. Do you think that the four lepers that went walking out, they already saw what was happening? The scripture says they saw nothing. They thought they were walking to their death, but they said, what have we got to lose? And when they stepped out in faith, God began to take care of the situations before they ever got there. So when I understand that my faith and my trust combined with his power his omnipotence, his wisdom, that wonderful things can happen when I put it in his hands. I want you to look at the person beside you and say, I am exactly what God wants. You know what? You may not be what the person beside you wants, but you're what God wants. There are ministries waiting right now for some of you to birth. There are ministries that have already been birthed that are ready for you to step up and lend your support. There are people waiting for, to hear your testimony of how God brought you through. You know, I thought it was so incredible. Uh, it was, I don't remember how many Sundays ago it was. I'm going to make up a number. I think it was about four. May have been more, may have been less. But, Brother Andy, we just fill in the blanks, don't we? Yeah, that's what we do. Four, about four Sundays ago, Cindy testified up here of being free from cocaine for 18 months. That was awesome. Was that not an awesome testimony? But you know what I thought was most awesome about that? That was the first time some of us had ever met her. So you know what that says to me? That says to me that Alicia unbeknownst to any of us, and it wasn't up front, and she wasn't doing Bible studies on Wednesday night in front of all of us, but she was making a difference in somebody's life. And you know what Alicia told me? She said, Sister Jean, I remember how scared I was the first time they closed that door, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me, and I'm thinking, dear God, what am I going to say? But you know what she said? She said, I had to open the door to my own failures my own insufficiency so God could be revealed in me. I had to put my insecurities aside and become vulnerable with my shortcomings and failures and say to them, you see this person, but there was another person, and God has changed me, and he can change you, and that was the connection point. But you know what had to happen? Somebody who wasn't sure that they had that to offer had to step out and say, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I know you're telling me to do this. I know that door's opening, and I may just say, hello, how are you doing? And I'm, see ya. 
You know, you don't know, but that isn't what happens. God understands our frailty. He knows the way we're made. He knows that we're flesh. And he wants to do something in us. God is for you. He's not a teacher with a big notepad that's checking off. Boy, they messed up there, messed up there. No, he's just agging you on and saying, why don't you step out in faith? Why don't you put my word to the test? Why don't you see what can happen when you put those fishes and bread in my hands? What will happen when I trust you? If he's for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter if you're from a rich heritage of truth. That's nice. But that, you don't, that's not a prerequisite. Or if you're just starting your own lineage of truth. I remember when Amy got that revelation. She was so despondent at times because people would get up and talk about their heritage and how they had, you know, 17,000 that came before them, that their mothers and grandfathers and on and on and on. And, and I don't have that. And she texted me one day and she said, I just figured out, Sister Jean, I'm starting my own heritage of truth. Yeah, that's where it begins. It doesn't matter what your past is. What matters is that I understand who I am in Jesus Christ right now. I am forever grateful to the heritage of truth that the Lord gave to me. But I want to tell you something. There, this isn't something that you inherit This is a personal crossroad that you have to come to in your own life that says, I'm going to sell all I have, and I'm going to walk with you, Jesus, and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And that personal crossroad has to come for every one of us to make that decision that I am in a journey to follow you. I'm not, you know, i got to be honest. I held on to my parents' coattails as long as I could. I didn't think anybody could get the Holy Ghost unless I pulled my dad over there with me and he laid their hands on them and they would get the Holy Ghost. And they did. But you know what? There came a point in time when my dad wasn't there and there was somebody standing there that needed the Holy Ghost. And I'm saying, oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Charles Carr, in the name of Jesus. And you know what? They received the Holy Ghost because it's not about us. It's about him. (laughs) You don't have to have everything figured out to step out. You're stepping out in faith on his reputation. And what a reputation he has. He will back up his word. He will stand strong. It may not bring personal acclaim to you. You may not say it all right. I've told you the story before, but it bears repeating. I remember Dr. Gibbs telling the story about he was he's a lawyer, a very um good lawyer and has defended the Christian faith in in many arenas but at his personal church that he attends he had been inviting his boss of the law firm where he worked to come to to um different services different and the guy never would come and he just kept thinking oh it's, it'll be this one it'll be this and he finally invited him to this men's prayer breakfast and the the lawyer his boss agreed to come And Dave Gibbs told the story. He said, I didn't know who the speaker was. And he said, I got there that day. And he said, on the program, he said, I opened up the program. I was like, oh, dear God. 
Uh, he said, I just, I knew it was a mess just from the start. He said, that man that they had speaking could barely speak in English. I mean, not because he was not fluent like he spoke Spanish, but because he just butchered the English language. And he said, just, you know, he said, I just thought, oh. He said, so the guy starts into his talk. And he said, he's so nervous that when he goes to turn the page of his Bible, he ripped the page out of his Bible. That's how bad the guy was shaking. He said it was a mess. He was just saying things. And, and he, said all, he said, I just sat there with my head down and thinking, God, please let this get over so we can, I can explain to this man, blah, 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 blah. And he said, all of a sudden, I felt a tap on my arm, and I turned around, and he said, my boss was sitting there with tears pouring down his face, and he said, Dave, is this what you've been trying to tell me all along? I get it. And Dave Gibbs said, at that moment, I realized it's not about my power or my fluency or what I can give or what I can do, but it's opening myself and saying, Lord, I'm available to you. Whatever you want, whatever you desire out of me, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to take the pressure off of you. You're never going to be talented enough. You're never going to be pretty enough. You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to be perfect or educated enough to fulfill what God is calling you to do. But the beauty is that he wants to take what you have and what you will offer, and he wants to turn it into something that you never imagined because he is the one that will do the work, not us. There is only one Savior. Take the pressure off yourself. You can't save anyone, but he wants to be glorified in your weakness, in your inadequacy. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And here's the key. For when I am weak, he is strong. God is not surprised by what's revealed in you. <laughs> when you're faced with times where you go through deep, dark times, God is bringing to the surface what needs to be dealt with. And how we react to those things is going to make the difference in what we become. God has allowed things to come into my life because he knew that there were things that were present inside of me that needed to be worked on. Things that I wasn't even aware of how deep and how dark they were. But he said, I'm going to put the press on you and I'm going to let it come to the surface. And I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I wish it wasn't that way. But he says, hey, give it to me and I'll help you with this. I'll take you through this. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. He is a refiner. He applies heat. He applies time. He applies pressure to form us into his image. We all want to be the vessel that glorifies him. But we want to skip the processing it takes to get there. I remember Betty Frazier in Jackson, Mississippi. 
God used her in such mighty ways. She would stand up and speak with authority and speak into people's lives, things that no one else knew, but God spoke them through her. And I remember Joan Ewing saying, everybody wants to walk into that realm of the spirit that Betty Frazier walks in, but nobody wants the blindness that she has that's propelled her to that place in Christ. Somewhere between his purpose being fulfilled and my expectation of how it's going to happen is where the breakdown occurs. I remember walking down to places in the altar and giving myself to God and saying, Lord, here it is. I want you to use me. And he took me at my word and he said, I'm going to work on you. And he took me through dark times and times that I didn't know how I would make it through. But that was the process that's trying to get me to that place that says, this is where I want to go. And he said, yeah, it's a long way and we can get there together. But there's going to be some processing that you may not be happy with. Things that you don't understand. But that's going to be what forms you in his image into pure gold. We know that promises that are in his word. We know God is good. We know that we can trust him. But we find ourselves wondering, how can this circumstance I am facing be the answer to the prayers I've prayed. That doesn't make sense, God. I ask you to help me to win the lost, and all you're doing is, you know, Lord, I, I just imagined a different scenario. I had a great plan worked out. I, I just imagined it differently. I wanted to draw closer. I wanted you to do something through me, Lord. I wanted to grow in you, but I didn't want you to kill me, Lord. And we all reach that point where we wrestle with the desire for him to be formed in us. But we didn't expect it to come through suffering and pain and rejection. I want you to be revealed in me. But I want you to never forget that the power of the resurrection is never brought forth without the fellowship of his suffering. Some of you sit here today wondering if God even knows your address and you've asked and you've believed for things that have not come to pass. But I'm here to remind you the Lord knows where you are. I want to lift your sights up to what he thinks about you. Look for his fingerprints. Some of the darkest nights in my life have revealed just how loving and how merciful God is. When you feel insignificant and that you don't really matter, I've come to remind you today you're important to him. He bought you with his own blood. He redeemed you and he's cheering you on. He believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. He sees you as redeemed. I wonder what would happen if we started living our lives like we believed he believed in us. What would you do? He says you're his child. He says you're his bride. He says he chose you. So don't let your perception of yourself replace the way that God sees you. He knows your name. He's for you. He is not here to tell you what's wrong with you. Does he chasten us? Absolutely. But the purpose of that is to bring us forth as pure gold, for us to understand who we are in him. We don't always understand what God is doing or how he could possibly use the those things that are in our life. But I will remind you again 
that he takes what we bring and he turns ashes into beauty. And if I trust him, he will do more than I ever imagined or hoped for. His ways are above my ways. I don't always understand him, but I have learned that I can trust him. God predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. And if he allows, please listen to this. If he allows challenges and difficulties in your life, I want you to know that he knows it is vital to your transformation. He is working on us. But when God works on us, it's not always pleasant. Some of you have to work on your children. And guess what? It's not always pleasant for them or for you. You know what, though? I'm going to remind you, Chelsea. I'm going to remind you, Shayla. You don't walk in front of people without saying, excuse me. And you're going to walk in front of people and say, excuse me, until I'm dead and gone. Because that's what we do and that's what's polite. You know what? I'm sure they got sick and tired of hearing that. But I knew that I'm trying to raise girls to be people that people want to be around. And that's not a pleasant process. It's a monotonous drudgery, if you want to call it that. I mean, it's so easy to make rules. You're not going to do this. or But the hard part is following up on it day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. And we've got that kind of Savior that says, hey, you said you want this? Okay, well, I'm going to take you through that process, and it's not going to be fun. But when we get there, you're going to be what you imagine I can make you into. <laughs> but i got to trust him. It's time that we stop focusing on what we don't have and start focusing on what's available to us. I've heard people say, well, I can't really do that because I can't play and I can't sing and I can't even talk in front of people. And I get, I'm sorry. That's excuses. That's a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. God said that you have what you need because he is all sufficient. I don't trust in myself. I understand that I am on a journey with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He chose me, and the price that he paid for me testifies of what I'm worth to him. I may feel like I don't have much to offer, but guess what? He wants what you have to offer. He's looking for that opportunity to reveal himself through you. Help me, Lord, to see what you see. Help me to see myself as you see me. We can focus on the negative all day. We can focus on the circumstances that so much so that we miss what he is doing through us. I can allow myself to be so consumed with what's wrong that I fail to see what he's revealing. God's purpose, please remember this, God's purpose doesn't always feel like God's favor. God's purpose doesn't always feel like God's favor. I won't 
bore you with the story again, but you know the story of the two children where the one got all the toys and was unhappy and sad and depressed because they were probably going to break and he might lose them. And then there was the child that was given the stable full of manure that was happy and throwing it and saying, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. But the Spirit helps us in our infirmities, our, our weaknesses. The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I want to tell you that life is going to bring things that you're not expecting. And your best intentions and your best plans may fail. But the thing that truly matters is how you react to it. How do you process? How do you go through this? I'm going through. I've made up my mind. Come what may. I've decided I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to enjoy the journey. Some days I'm just going to rejoice because I know there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. When you make up your mind that God is for you and that you're going through no matter what, that is an unbeatable combination. Because he says, I will take you through to the other side. And I've got to make up my mind that whatever hoops and whatever diversions and whatever, whatever path he takes me, I'm going to trust him that we're going to the other side. I remember, pardon the personal reference, but I just remember in grade school, I don't remember if I've told you this story or not. If I did, just mark it down that you've already heard it. If you haven't, then listen up. There was a guy in our school, I was in fifth grade, and I was playing the saxophone. Now, I want to tell you, when I was in fifth grade, I was tiny. I was short, I was real skinny. Um, I won't even tell you some of the, the jokes that were made because that's how little I was. And that saxophone was almost as big as I was. And so it would take both hands, and I would walk to school, uphill, backwards in the snow. No, just walk to school with my saxophone. And my sister was, I think, in third grade. And there was this guy named Brian Crane, and he was in fourth grade, and he was big. And he had a bicycle, like one of those high-powered bicycles. They were rich. He had a big, fancy bicycle. And he would, we would come, go to walk home from school with that saxophone, and my sister would help me. Like, when I just took it as far as I could take it, I'd put it down, and she'd pick it up and walk a little while and go, I can't anymore, and I'd pick it up. I look at that saxophone now, and it's hilarious because it, it really wasn't that big, but it seemed huge then. And Brian Crane would come at, hit at us with his bicycle. 
and he would do like play chicken. And we were the chickens without the bike, <laughs> just a saxophone. He would come at us full force and then just at the last minute just go around us and terrified us. We didn't show it. We just kept trudging along, walking. But by the time we got home, we were we were mess. We were just we were so traumatized and scared. And I don't know why I didn't tell my parents. I don't know why, but we just didn't. But I told my sister one day, I said, this is the last day Brian Crane is doing that to us. And I said, and this is what we're going to do. When he comes at us with that bike, I said, I know you're going to be scared, but I want you to grab his handlebars, and I want you to hold on as tight as you can because Tina was so stubborn. I knew she would not let go. I said, do not let that bike go. And I said, I'm going to get that saxophone. Now, don't, I'm so glad children are not in here. Do not, this is not a plan. I'm just telling you the power of a made-up mind. I said, when, he, when you get, I'm going to pick up that saxophone, and I'm going to beat him with that saxophone case. So we were like, okay, so it's the end of the day, and, we, and I pick up that saxophone, and we're walking, and I'm thinking, maybe Brian won't do that today. Maybe God will just take it out of my way. Maybe God has already moved and taken care of this, but here he comes. I mean, that was his delight, his joy of the day. He comes on that bicycle, and he's just coming towards us, and I can feel my sister stiffening up. And I was like, Tina, you know what you got to do? And she goes, yeah, I know what I got to do. And so he comes right at her, and she just pounces on those handlebars, and you could see the surprise in his eyes. And she holds on to that and shoves it, and he fell off the bike, and I was beating him with that saxophone box I was so scared but I said don't you ever do that to us again or it's going to be worse the next time and he got on his bike and he was looking around and he took off and and we went to the funeral home that night and uh his dad was the funeral director. I owned the funeral home. My dad said, so-and-so's passed away. We're going to the funeral home. And we went to the funeral home, and who is standing holding the door but Brian? He's welcoming the guest into the funeral home. And he saw us, and he was out of there. Never again were we bothered by Brian Crane. Now, could Brian have gotten up and probably beaten us to a pulp? Oh, yes. But there was something he recognized in us that these girls, they have made up their mind, and this is not going to happen again. But I'm going to tell you the same thing can happen in the spirit, that you say, you know what? I don't know what's up here, and I don't know what's going on, and I don't understand everything that he's trying to do, but I'm holding on. I'm going through, or I'm going to make it. Some of you need to get that spirit in your spirit that says, come what may. I'm going through. I'm going through. I'm going through. I'm on a journey to know him. And when I quit asking him why, then he can reveal himself to me. That why becomes irrelevant when I understand that, yes, I've made mistakes. And I don't always have the right actions and reactions and thoughts. But when I fall, I shall arise. <laughs> I won't be denied in my pursuit of him. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you. I want to tell you this. Your ministry may not look like everyone else's. But I'm telling you, if it bothers you, you're the one with the passion about it. And you need to do something about it.
I remember Leslie telling me about, and I'm closing, Leslie telling me about becoming a van driver. And she said, I just, you know, I just, Sister Jean, I feel this burden for these kids, and I see myself and what I was like, and I just, and I'm like, well, then you need to do something about it. She goes, yeah, but, but it's me, you know. I, I've got all these problems and all these faults and all these failures, and I, you're the perfect one then. You're the perfect candidate because God can use you. And I remember she told me, she said, you know what, Sister Jean, Jeannie Halterman was the van driver who accepted me for who I was, and she became my mentor mother because my mother wasn't saved, and she didn't try and change me. She said, I wouldn't be here today if she hadn't continued to pick me up and check on me even when I was being ugly to her. The way that she allowed God to use her to change my life is the way I want to affect change in other children's lives. You know what? That one hand that said, I'm going to touch the life of this child that's mean to me and not always polite, doesn't always do what she's supposed to, but then in turn, she's going to touch the life. And those lives are going to touch other lives, and it goes on and on. And we have to understand that God wants us. Ministry always functions in the context of the body. I want to tell you today, quit waiting for perfection to arrive, but accept the challenge that he's laying before you to give a cup of water in his name. We depend on him, we trust him, and we put into action what he's called us to do. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are the hands, you are the feet. And the door that is before you, no man can shut it. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for what.